0: be great if you could open a uh, copy of God's word to John chapter 2 I'm sure you've heard someone say this sort of thing you know she's a born-again Christian I heard the new guy at work he's a born-again Christian now that may be the sort of thing you've said yourself about someone else. It may be the sort of thing someone else has said about you. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that phrase, born-again Christian. In many cultures, that phrase brings instantly to mind a certain type of person. Born-again Christian. Ned Flanders from The Simpsons? Uh, or is it someone who is really intense? Someone who's going to evangelize you? Someone who's had a dramatic conversion, colorful past, now change? Some places, born-again Christians, often used as, in a pejorative way to speak about people, not just their Christian beliefs, but their political beliefs. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear that phrase, born-again Christian. But I asked my wife this morning, what comes to your mind when you hear the phrase, born-again Christian? And her response was this, a real Christian. We don't need our understanding of born-again shaped by popular culture. We need our understanding of this reality shaped and informed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we see in John chapter 3, a Christian is someone who is born again born from above now as we before we dive into this text let me just uh, remind us where we've been we've been working our way through John chapter 2 we've looked at Jesus' first sign uh, there at the wedding Cana, turning water into wine and how his disciples believed when he manifested his glory last week we were looking at Jesus cleansing the temple and at the end in verse 22, we read his disciples remembered these words that he had said, destroy this temple and in three days time I'll raise it up again. And they connected it with the scriptures and with the words of Jesus and they believed. You see, running through John's gospel is this key theme. Believe. Belief. John wrote this gospel in order that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. Now when we pick things up this morning in verse 23, look at what we read. Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. So far so normal. Jesus performs signs that point people to who he is and why he's come and they believe. But hold up, look at verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. See in the original, the word entrust there is the exact same for believe that's used in verse 23. This reads, they believed in him, but he did not believe in them. Why not? End of verse 24, end of verse 25. Because he knew all people. For he himself knew what was in man. Jesus did not believe in these people's profession of faith, if you like. Because he knew. He knew what was in them. It's a startling thing. That, that, that here right at the outset you, you, we're wanting to see people believe we too are being called and invited to believe but we're here being giving a very sober warning there is such a thing as misguided misplaced belief there's such a thing as false belief these people the, the reason they believed in, in Jesus is because they saw his signs, his miracles But we'll read later on in the gospel, there are many people who who came to Jesus because of that, but then they left Jesus because they didn't really receive him as the Messiah. Now, what's really interesting is through John's gospel, we get this reality again and again. Jesus knows people inside out. Remember Nathaniel, chapter 1. Jesus knew him. He knew what he was doing under the fig tree. It was that, in fact, that led Nathaniel to make that amazing confession. You're the king of Israel. You are the son of God. In fact, in John chapter 4, we're going to meet a woman at a well, called Samaritan woman, and she'll say, come and see a man who told me all the things I've ever done. One of the things we need to know about jesus that john wants us to know and we need to let this sink into our hearts and minds this morning jesus knows us better than we know ourselves maybe i can put it like this there are no hidden secrets in your life or my life you might be hiding things from other people there is nothing hidden from jesus Jesus doesn't need a character reference for you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And furthermore, Jesus knows whether or not your belief is genuine. Now, I draw attention to this at the outset because it's this that forms the backdrop for John chapter 3. And Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. I want to posit to you that Nicodemus was an unsaved believer. Nicodemus exemplifies those in verse 23 who believed in Jesus but did not really believe in Jesus. At least not yet. Now, if you look at the end of verse 25, we read that Jesus need no one to bear witness about man, for he knew what was in man. Chapter 3 opens and says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. Do you see it? You can hardly miss it. The word man is intended to link this passage with what has gone before. What we're being told right at the outset is Jesus knew what was in Nicodemus. Now the man, Nicodemus, that we meet here met Jesus in the middle of the night. He was clearly curious about Jesus, intrigued by Jesus, wanted to know more about Jesus. Maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe Jesus intrigues you. Maybe you're curious about him. We'll come together. We're going to Learn more about him. As we work through this passage, I've got four headings. The man, the meeting, the meaning, the message. Let me introduce to you the man, Nicodemus. Verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. First thing we learn about this man is he was a Pharisee. Now, you know when you're reading through the Gospels, we can often scoff at the Pharisees and think they're the bad guys. See, in the first century, not so. They were the good guys. Every father who had a daughter would have the desire that their daughter would marry a Pharisee. These are good men, careful in their observance of the law, committed to the tradition of the elders. They lived life with the strictest possible Religious faithfulness. For for the Pharisees, law keeping was the way of life and it was the way of salvation. In fact, John is going to show us in this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus that the Pharisee Judaism was wide of the mark. For no one can be saved by devotion to the law, by doing good works. You can only be saved by the new birth. The second thing we learn about this man, Nicodemus, is that he was a ruler of the jews that is to say he was a member of the elite ruling council the sanhedrin he was part of the highest legal legislative judicial body of the jews he was a man who was a mover and a shaker he had great importance and great influence in israel's civic and religious life And the final thing we learn about Nicodemus, this man, is told to us in verse 10. There we read definite article, he was the teacher of Israel. That is to say, he was the greatest theologian that Israel possessed. He was the Reverend Dr. Professor Nicodemus. Widely published, highly regarded. If you had any theological question, he's the guy you go to. Tell me more about God, go to Nicodemus. Tell me how I can enter the kingdom of God, go to Nicodemus. He exemplifies what it was to be a good Jew. So we've met the man, Nicodemus. Now let's consider the meeting between Nicodemus and Jesus. In verse 2 we read that John tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Remember a couple of weeks back, we were looking at the John 20, Mary Magdalene. She came early in the morning when it was dark. You know, darkness and light runs through John's gospel as a major theme, and it symbolically speaks to the reality of Nicodemus' heart. He was spiritually in the dark. He probably came to Jesus at night because he was the teacher of Israel, and he didn't want his Pharisees and his fellow peers to know that he was meeting this rogue rabbi from Galilee. He was intrigued and curious about him, but it's probably not a thing that he wanted everyone to know that he everyone to know that he was meeting with. He was associated with this man. Now look how Nicodemus leads when he meets Jesus. He says to Jesus rabbi now, now he's the rabbi of Israel he comes to Jesus and, and, and you need to know this and I need to know this practical application always be careful how you address Jesus call him teacher be prepared to be taught a lesson rabbi we know that you're a teacher come from God for no one else can do these signs that you do Unless God is with him. Now the scores debate, is this a a statement of flattery? Is this a genuine statement of respect? Has Nicodemus joined the dots? Jesus does these amazing things. In the Old Testament, those who did signs, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, they were sent from God. Jesus must be someone special sent from God. God is with him. But it only seems that Nicodemus goes as far to acknowledge that he's a teacher come from God. Now, rather than figuring out where, what sort of heart this statement came from, I want you to notice that Jesus does not commend him for his regard or interest. But instead, Jesus begins by bypassing his statement and commanding him. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus leads with this, Jesus, we know who you are. Jesus leads with this, you don't know who I am. That, This is what you need to know. You must be born again. Jesus is saying that not even a man with Nicodemus' standing, all his good deeds, all his good works, can enter the kingdom of God without the new birth. Please note the word unless. It's categorical. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now Jesus can say this because he he knows what is in him. He knows Nicodemus' true state. Nicodemus would have thought, as all of Israel would have thought, if there's anyone who will be in the kingdom of God, it'll be him. He exemplifies what it was to be a good, faithful, devout, loyal Jew. But here Jesus exposes him and says, listen, that won't get you into the kingdom of God. Now, maybe you're hearing your scratching your head a little thinking, what does it mean to be born again? Nicodemus, this great teacher, he hears Jesus make this command, this, to him, and he's dumbfounded and he's struck by what Jesus says. Look, look at what he says in response, verse three. How can a man be born of, born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So here in the middle of this late night meeting, Nicus, Nicodemus, Nicodemus Reveals that he misunderstands what Jesus is saying. He takes it literally. His thinking is just so earthly. He's like, Jesus, can you give me the biology lesson? I'm an old man. How can I re-enter my mother's womb and be reborn? Now, this man had every conceivable spiritual advantage. He'd been raised among the people of God. He'd memorized the word of God. He had oversight over the temple of God. But he was ignorant of the most basic thing. How does one enter into the kingdom of God? Nicodemus is confused. Little side point of application. You might have had the privilege of being raised in a Christian home. Born in a Christian family. Belonging to a church preaches the Bible you can have all those things but it is not a guarantee that you will know how to enter the kingdom of God it's not a guarantee that you're even in the kingdom of God interestingly in in, in Nicodemus' brand of Judaism you know what they thought They thought if you were born a Jew, born a Jew, by natural birth, you'd enter into the kingdom of God. So there's a scene in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. It's Jesus, the first time he meets the the Pharisees. We read in verse 7, but he saw many of the Pharisees coming to his baptism. And he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. That was your confidence. I'm born a son of Abraham. That means I'm born into the kingdom of God. Paul makes this clear. The, 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 the New Testament is consistent. All Israelites are not true Israelites. Now, picture in your mind's eye the shock that must have been all over Nicodemus's face. Jesus just, if you like, taking the spiritual legs away from him. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now maybe you're asking yourself the same question Nicodemus was asking himself. What does that even mean? So we move from the meeting. Let's consider the meaning of the new birth. Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, see when Jesus, the word, become flesh, speaks, he speaks with the authority of God. Amen, amen. Verily, verily, he, the word of God, speaks the words of God. Here they are. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, do you know what's different about that verse than verse three? Look at it again. If you're a diligent student of the Scripture, like Nicodemus was, you would hear that Jesus said something differently. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Now, now, this is masterful from Jesus. He's he's gone toe to toe with the Rabbi of Israel. And he just drops in, born of water and of spirit. And any man whose mind is memorised the Old Testament scriptures should have thought, Ezekiel. You see, the new birth, being born again, that language is not used in the Old Testament, but it is for sure prophesied in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 36, which we read earlier, that's what it's all about. It's all about the new birth. I will sprinkle clean water on you. What is the the, the, this, the water? See the water here mentioned to clean cleanse us from all our impurities, rid us of all our idols. Then he says, I will give you a new heart. I will literally give you a heart transplant. I will put a new spirit within you. This passage is, is, is the prophetic background to the new birth. If someone is born again, this is what happens, right? Jesus does a work by his spirit, supernaturally, where he cleanses us within of all of our Impurities he takes our heart of flesh and he gives it a heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh where he puts his spirit within us to make us his own to give us desires and affections to make us alive to him we call it the new birth we call it the work of regeneration now now jesus is, he's so patient he's such a patient teacher some of you here are school teachers and you're, you're patient with your pupils Your jesus is patient he drops another little reference that should have instantly put a light bulb in nicodemus's mind he look, look at what he says next that which is born of the flesh is flesh so like you, being born again of flesh is meaningless but that which is born to try and do that but that which is born of the spirit spirit so, so the rebirth the, the new birth is the work of the holy spirit but jesus do not marvel that i said to you you must be born again Listen to this. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, our light bulbs probably aren't all turning on right now, but Nicodemus' to. after Ezekiel chapter 36, you get Ezekiel chapter 37. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, do you remember what it's about? The Valley of the Dry Bones. And what does the dead bones need to make them live? The spirit. And how does the spirit come? He comes as he pleases. And listen to this. Ezekiel 37 verse 4. Prophesy over these bones. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath. By the way, in the Hebrew, the word for breath is ruach. And ruach is the exact same word as can be used for wind. Cause breath to enter you and you shall live. Now read verse 9. Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds. O breathe, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So Jesus sent setting it all out for Nicodemus. Do you want to know what it means to be born again? You need the Spirit of God to work in you to give you life. spiritually speaking all of us by nature are dead in our sins and transgressions darkened in our understanding blind to the things of god here jesus is saying listen you need the spirit of god to do the work of god to make you enter the kingdom of god now see if you're here and you're you're a christian you're maybe thinking to yourself so i'm born again How should I respond to the fact that I did nothing, contributed nothing towards it? God did it all. Well, we should respond to the reality that the wind chose God by His Spirit chose to blow on us, make us alive to Him, open our eyes. We should respond as being the most humble people on earth. We did nothing; He did everything. And 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 see, when we think about other people who are not yet believers they can't do anything to enter the kingdom of God. They need the spirit of God to come upon them and make them live, to make them see, to make them hear. And so if you want to be passionate in your evangelism, passionate, you know the most passionate you can do is pray to the sovereign God to work by the spirit of God in the lives of those who are not yet in God. And as you realize that it's not by your good works, but Christ's good works, not by your efforts, but by his spiritual effort in you to make you alive. You should live with grateful obedience to God. Now, we've looked at the meaning of the new birth, but Nicodemus still doesn't get it. Look at verse 9. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? Now, Jesus then responds to Nicodemus and says that famous statement, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Some of you have been in church for many years. Come every Sunday. You hear the preaching of the word still you do not understand these things you're hearing this message and it's just like how can this be jesus in this final section does what we need him to do if we're going to understand what it means to be born again this is how you know you're born again you understand the message of the gospel Now watch this, this is is how Jesus pivots, right? We've looked at the man, the meeting, we've looked at the meaning of the new birth, Now, now watch this, the message. Verses 14 and 15. Jesus uses this Old Testament story from Numbers 21 and he says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I don't know if you remember that story in the Old Testament. You've got God's people, that are in the wilderness. God's feeding them manna from heaven. But God's people are grumbling and complaining because of the apparent lack of food and water. And so God sends among them serpents to bite them. Kills them. God's people in response cry out to God. Save us. God says to Moses, take a bronze serpent. Put it on a pole so that when anyone who's bitten by a serpent looks at the serpent on the pole, they will live. That's precisely what happens. The people in the wilderness. Moses lifts up the pole. They look And they live. Do you see the foreshadowing of the cross? If you've not got ears to hear, you won't hear this. If you've not got eyes to see, you won't see this. If the Spirit of God has not come into your life and give you a new heart, you won't get this message. The son of man must be lifted up on a cross. Now, it's fascinating, isn't it? This is is the fascinating thing. The image in the wilderness was the serpent. The one who actually brought them death is the one who's on the pole. They look and they live. Who's Jesus? Second Adam. We've been looking at this in the previous weeks. What's Jesus come to do? Crush the serpent. What did the serpent's temptation mean for all of men and women? We would die because of our sin and rebellion. What is Jesus hanging on a cross picture? The penalty, the punishment of sin is death. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. When you look to him on the cross, what do you see? The one whose arms are outstretched so that through his death you might live. Because he's crushed the serpent, because he's paid for our sin, and he will be raised on the third day, and he will be exalted to the right hand of the Father, we will live now i'm going to give you the end of the story we meet nicodemus two more times in john's gospel john chapter 7 he's on the sanhedrin and he ends up sticking up for jesus that's no sure sign that he's converted we meet him one more time john chapter 19 do you know where he is the disciples have fled the cross nicodemus is there He's with Joseph of Arimathea. And they take the Son of Man who's been lifted up on the cross, and they take his body, and they place it in the tomb. And you can well imagine that this great teacher of Israel, who on this conversation with Christ doesn't seem that in this moment he was born again, but that is he had looked at him who was lifted up, and the Spirit of God came upon him to make him alive, that he looked and lived, because he believed the words of Christ. You know the most famous verse in all the Bible is John chapter three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believe in him shall not perish. We take that verse out of his biblical context and we know it so well. This is the context. You want to know the love of God? God's love for the world? Someone who's born again looks at Christ lifted up on the cross and they see it. It's like the message... His complete meaning to them. God so loved me that he gave him so that if I believe in him I will not die but live. And and if you want to know having thought about Jesus knowing all things about us knowing our hearts here's how you know that when you believe in him he believes in you in the sense that he entrusts himself to you that you look at the cross and you see that it's love for you to give you life. Only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we stand. Not by human endeavor, but by the blood of the Lamb. Into your presence you call us. Call us to come. We're invited here to come, look, and live. Let's pray. this morning for those who are in darkness they can do nothing but look to your son and in the light of the world find their darkness expelled and see him for who he is Lord for those of us who know you and love you who have been born again we thank you that you know us you know what is in us and yet in your amazing grace you have given us what we do not deserve life, sight a new heart and new affections God we we pray that you would change those of us who are Christians to live in such a way that even as we look at our neighbours, our families, our friends, their greatest need is to be born again. And we thank you that the way that people are born again is when your spirit comes upon them and enables them to see and savour the Saviour who hung on the cross. And so God, make us ever useful and faithful in the proclamation of this message that many would look and live. Be born again, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.